Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, the song of Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Remember, our songs are to the Lord. I, I don't, I don't participate in karaoke. I don't sing secular songs. Our worship is to the Lord. They sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. I like that. My strength and my song. Do you get that? And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and hosts he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stood in a heap and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. <laughs> you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand the earth, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love. Wow. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Oh, I love that. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. God leads me in his steadfast love. <laughs> Did you hear that? God leads you in his unchanging, his steadfast love. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of Yoram. Moses said, no, no. All these people that were about to go and, and walk through like Edom and Moab and the land of Canaan, he said, they're not afraid of us, but God, they are afraid of you. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Now notice they're not to take these lands. You bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, by which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and the chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Now comes Miriam's song. And Miriam sang to them. Sing to the Lord. Now, now folks... People always want to say, oh, we shouldn't dance and worship. Well, you know what? 
When you get happy, you dance before the Lord. Then Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. and They went into the wilderness ashore. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptian, for I am the Lord your healer. Now notice, you want that promise? He said, you diligently listen. You do that which is right in his eyes. You give ear to his commandments and statutes. And then the promise of healing flows. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there by the water. Now, I want you to notice a leadership principle here. Need causes attitudes. And this is something pastors just and leaders you just have to get used to. When people are having a hard time, they had no water, they always grumble against the leaders. Don't, don't take it personal and don't get all upset about it. People grumble against leadership because they're struggling, because they're having a need, okay? When they need to be looking to God to provide. Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Again, notice, attitudes created by need. I mean, this, this is normal, brothers and sisters. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven on you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Okay, will they, will they obey? On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. All right, God will provide. He said, you, you need to understand. God did this and God provides. Where God leads, my grandpa used to say this, where God leads, God feeds. <laughs> okay. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he heard your grumbling against the Lord. Now, wait a minute. They grumbled against Moses. Yeah. Now, now, here's something that you're going to have to get. He said, for what are we that you grumble against us? He said, you're grumbling against us. I'm sorry, it wasn't against us. He said, you were grumbling against God. One of the things you have to learn when you start fighting with leaders, you're fighting with God. And you, you got to get a hold of that, all right? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, 
because the Lord has heard your grumbling and that you grumble against him. He said, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now, yes, pastors and leaders, you got to get used to the fact that when people have a need, they have an attitude. But members, you also got to realize the pastors aren't the ones who provide. God provides. And when you're grumbling against the pastors, you're grumbling against the Lord. Then the Lord said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked into the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Hey, focus on God, not leaders. As leaders, we're nothing but tools. I mean, please, we're nothing but tools in God's hand to, to help, help you get to the goal that God has for you. He says, so focus on God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take a omer according to the number of persons that you ha each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it, it was an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and who had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. All right, I like this. They shared, okay? There was sharing that took place. In the hard times, we got to learn to share with one another, Diva. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they still did not listen to Moses. <laughs> some part of it till the morning, some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat, but when it grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much as much bread, two omers each. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there shall be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the Sabbath day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. That's delicious, by the way. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it 
and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna forty years till it became till it came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth part of an Ephath. This is the story of the manna from heaven. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Amen. Hey. 
New Testament passage today picks up now in Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. All right, so we have a twofold audience. Twofold audience. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, what is that? That was a seat that was put in the front of every synagogue, and that's where the law of Moses was read. So do and observe whatever they tell you because they're reading to you from the word of God. Okay, so do that. But not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Now, we're entering into a passage here where self-righteous people love to bash every preacher in the world. And I will admit, there there are no perfect preachers in the world, me included. I mean, everybody's, we're all still growing. But I'd like you to notice something very interesting. I want you to notice the disciples were listening. The apostles were listening. The apostles were sitting there. Jesus wasn't bashing the apostles. Ah, did you get that? Do you get the difference? Okay. He said, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their little finger. Now he's talking about laws, legalistic laws. Now, To understand this, you you have to understand a little bit about Judaism and a little bit about what happens in synagogues. It would shock you to read some of the writings of rabbis. Now, not all. Some of the rabbis are very good men. But there are rabbis through history that have written very detailed things about exactly how you have to do things and exactly how strict it is that you have to obey this commandment. And they take the commandment that God said, and they start with something this big. And by the time they elaborate on it, it's as big as the universe. That nobody could live. God, God, never, God never makes things unlivable, okay? He said, and so they, they, they make these huge rules and regulations. They, they take a small commandment of God and they make this huge regulation. 
but then they have lots of little excuses for people who don't want to obey it. Okay. <laughs> My favorite one is, you know, you, this is how far you can travel on a Sabbath day. And so for the excuses to get around it, you'll find in written in some of the rabbinical literature that what you have to do is the day before you go out and you leave a pillow and a little bedroll there. And then you can travel another day's Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey after that. And if you need to go farther than that, then you tie up another little bedroll and a little pillow and you leave it another there. And so you, you do the journey in stages and each one you call your house. Okay, so it's just, it's ridiculousness, all right? So th this is what Jesus is dealing with there. He's dealing with people that have taken what God said. And we read you earlier, remember, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, this is Jesus talking to those people who did the, you heard it said. He said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So they love public righteousness. Kind of like Facebook righteousness, okay? People today, they get on Facebook and they put everybody else down and they act like they're the only pure, holy ones around, all right? So they, he said, listen, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They, they show some little tiny thing that they have done and they make it look so big, but in actuality, it's, it's so small. They love their place of honor at feasts and the best seats of the synagogue. So they love to be seen. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And greetings and being called rabbi by others. But now notice a passage that he moves into. And really, you're going to have to, let me take you down to the end of it so that you'll understand the beginning of it. The key here is verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, that's what Jesus is getting us to. But he says, you are not to be called rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. He said, he looks at the apostles and he said, listen, you, you shouldn't be going around trying to be a rabbi. Okay. He said, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, now that's a big controversy. Do we not call our earthly father father? I call my father dad, yeah, or father. What about, Paul says, I was a spiritual father to him in the Lord. He's my son in the Lord. Ah, have you ever noticed Paul never told anybody to call him father? Hmm. He never, nobody walked up and called Paul father. How did Paul always want to be addressed? Paul, an apostle. Paul, a servant. He never told anybody to call him father, but the relationship of spiritual fatherhood still existed. He said, call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And really, Paul's main job was to keep pointing people to the father in heaven. Neither are you to be called instructors. Now, again, you've got to put all three of these together. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah. He said, I'm your instructor. So are we not to call our professors instructors? Mm. So what is Jesus trying to talk about? He said, it's all about image. 
The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So this whole thing is not about some legalistic, you know, you can't call your dad father, you can't call your professor instructor, uh, you know, you can't call somebody teacher. Hello, teacher, because that's all it means. It says, you know, you are not to be called Rabboni or Rabbi. I can't call my professor teacher because call no man teacher. You know, it's not about that. He's dealing here with pride and image, those words. Because the whole context here is these religious leaders were, were Facebook righteousness, all right? They were, they were all about their image. He said, listen, quit trying to exalt yourself. Quit taking titles upon yourself. Quit that stuff, all right? He said, but woe to you, scribes. And remember, what is a scribe? A scribe is the guy who made the copies of the Torah, okay? He would, he would write out all the words of the law. So he knew the scripture well because he'd copied it hundreds and hundreds of times in his life. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither yourselves nor will allow those who would enter to go in. He said, All right, hey, here's the kingdom of heaven. All that teaching that he's done through Matthew on the parables on what the kingdom of heaven is and what the kingdom of God is, he said, you won't let anybody come into the kingdom of heaven. He said, you shut it in men's faces. He said, and you won't enter yourself. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now, here come all these series of woes, okay? Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, all right? Woe to you, woe to you. Okay, well, we'll finish those up as we go. Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across the land and sea to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. He said, you work so hard to get one person converted to Judaism, and you make them twice as bad as you. <laughs> Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. Now, now here's, their, here's their little rules and regulations again. If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by the oath. Here, here's their little... Here's their little word games, all right? This is the word games that I told you about earlier that they play. All their little rationalizations and excuses and ways around obeying things, all right? You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple that made the gold sacred? And you who say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. Here's these little word games. I mean, you know, again, rabbinical lit literature is full of this. You know, you're not bound by an oath. You're bound by an oath if you swear by the gift on the altar, but this rabbi would say, but you're not bound by an oath that you, you swear on the altar. And another rabbi would say, you're bound by the altar, but you're not bound by the temple. And another rabbi would say, you're bound if you swear by the gold of the temple. Another rabbi would say, you're bound if you swear by the temple. <laughs> Jesus said, grabe talaga. He said, blind guides. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold of the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by an oath. You blind man, for which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred? And whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. He said, in other words, stop the word games, okay? Just, just, it's not logical. 
Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe in mint, dill, and cumin. These are little, little garden herbs and have neglected the way to your matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he said, now listen, guys, you're not talking about justice. You know, Christians don't like to talk about justice today. You know, they, they want mercy. And yes, we love mercy. And mercy is also one of the weightier matters of the law. But there has to be justice. There is a, there is a recompense for people's actions. And there's also mercy. And there's faithfulness. He said, these you ought to have done, the tithe of the mint, dill, and cumin, without neglecting the others. Okay? Now, brothers and sisters, Jesus taught tithing. And, you know, you can rationalize anything you want. But Jesus taught tithing. But he said, listen, it doesn't do any good to tithe if you're neglecting these other weightier matters of the law. Do them all. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He said, okay, the mint, dill, and cumin, that's the gnat. He said, the camel, that's the justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said, don't get hyper-focused on the little things and ignore the big things. Now, now brothers and sisters, that is, a, that is an effect that happens in every Christian's life today. It's really, it's really easy to get super focused on a little thing and make a big deal out of a little thing and ignore all the rest of it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You scribes, Pharisees, hypocrite, clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, again, you know, you get little self-righteous preachers coming along today saying this about all the other preachers that, that have gone before them. Jesus wasn't talking to the apostles. The apostles were good men. They weren't perfect men. I mean, please, they denied Jesus. Okay, I mean, please. They all ran away. Please, okay. They walked away from the call temporarily. Please, okay. They, they weren't perfect but Jesus wasn't talking to them. He was talking to these religious leaders that were about to kill him because they were all about image, not reality. They were Facebook believers. Okay, forgive me. They were Facebook believers. They look so self-righteous on Facebook, but that's not who they are in person. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Wow. All right. So when you clean the inside, the outside is clean. All right. So work on hearts before the body. You want to look good on the outside? Fix the inside. Now, let me tell you what I've learned in life. A pig on the inside is a pig on the outside. <laughs> now, let me tell you what I mean by that. That's the, that's the Alabama country boy coming out of me here for a minute. A pig on the inside is a pig on the outside. You know what I found about people? I found that people that are dirty, dirty on the outside. Now, they might put on fancy clothes, but, you know, they're not clean. You know, they, they may look good when people see them, but when you go home, they live in filth. They don't clean anything. They don't keep their environment around themselves clean. Now, again, their display, they outwardly appear beautiful, okay? Outwardly appear beautiful is the key. 
and it's all about appearance, all right? So, but if you go to their house, they live like pigs. Nothing is clean, nothing is kept. They might wear nice clothes, but they don't bathe very often, so to speak. Now, I found that when people are like that, there's something really dirty on the inside. All right, learn the lesson. When the inside of the cup is clean, when you're clean on the inside, you are clean on the outside. Oh, now that's a great truth to get a hold of. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Now, everything about that there is talking about spiritual uncleanness. You're not supposed to touch dead men's bones and things like this, all right? He said, but you look really beautiful on the outside. You know, there are people that they look so beautiful and they look so perfect. But when you go to their home, you find out they live like pigs. And then you find out for them, this is all about appearance. It's all about Facebook Christianity. They have a little corner of their house that they show because that's the clean part, but the rest of it is... The pigsty. All, right. All about appearance. Christians, we're not. Jesus is trying to teach us here. It's not about appearance. It's about a heart change. Okay, it's not about appearance. Brothers and sisters, if we will let God fix our hearts, we don't need to worry about how we look on the outside because it'll look all right. To, and if it doesn't look all right to people, that's not a problem. It looks all right to God. All right. So you outwardly appear righteous to others. He said, this is, this is your whole thing here is, is Facebook Christianity. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I, I know people like that, all right? They act so self-righteous in front of everybody else, but inside they're full of other stuff. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Okay. He said, now, wait a minute. He said, you act like you honor great men of God. You act like you honor great men of God. He said, but you know what? No, <laughs> it's not true. Thus you bear witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Wow. Have you ever been around? I, I, I can never forget meeting this one preacher. And he was always talking so honoringly about all these great men of God that had gone before us. And then I began to realize Inside, he was just trying to draw credibility. To, to draw credibility. He was just trying to draw credibility from their lives because he was horribly sexually immoral. Now, brothers and sisters, you got to learn to watch out for people like this. But now notice, the apostles Jesus wasn't criticizing. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Wow. So all these people up there 
have hell in their future. Now, this is something that you have to recognize. When you start hearing people bashing other spiritual leaders that they don't like using these verses, they're actually saying those leaders are going to hell. So ask yourself the question, is that person really going to hell? Hmm. Therefore, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Wow. Jesus said, I'm going to send this to you. I'm going to send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. He said, truly, I say to you, all these things will come on this generation. Now, is Jesus speaking of future generations? No. Remember, I told you, he's not speaking against the apostles. He's pronouncing judgment on the men who are about to murder him. Okay? He's telling these guys, he's, he's correcting them. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. But he said, you know what? And you're going to have more opportunities. He said, I'm going to send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. And he said, you know, I foresee, I foresee that all you're going to do is kill and crucify them and beat them and flog them. He said, all these things, all the righteous blood from all the generations past will come upon this generation. Wow. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Wow. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy is offered. There's, there's Jesus. I mean... He stands in the face of these people. He tells them what their spiritual problems are. And then he offers them mercy. Wow. But they weren't willing. He says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Wow. You know how to tell whether somebody has really been involved in all this stuff up above that we've been talking about? You know how to tell? Because one day you see their house left desolate. Ah, you see them just gone, withered away. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. Now we have one more passage to work on today, and that is in the book of Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs chapter six. Solomon is teaching his son about sexual immorality. And he said, son, and really, chapter 6, 7, and 8 is full of this, all right? Son, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. <laughs> now, guys, you have to understand, one of the most seductive things a woman does is to bow her head a little bit and flash her eyelashes at you like this. That's far more seductive than a lot of the things that they try to act as sexy on TV today. And Solomon understands this. He said, do not let her capture you. 
a woman can capture a man with sexual immorality. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. Wow. The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Wow. Having sex with a married woman is like somebody hunting down your life to destroy it. So prostitute costs you money. Having sex with a married woman costs your life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burnt or his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in, goes in has means has sex, to his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. No one. King David is a prime illustration of this. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Guys, if you've got a Potiphar's wife offering sex to you, some old cougar, and you're a young man who's working in the house or doing something for your boss, you know what? No one who touches that woman will go unpunished. You have to learn the Joseph principle. Run. <laughs> okay. Run. So Solomon looks at his son and says, now, son, come on. Come on. Stay away from this. You, you can't expect... Just like a man can't take fire to his chest and not be burned, his clothes are going to be burned, he walks on hot coals, his feet are going to get burned. You touch a prostitute, you touch another man's wife, you're going to get hurt. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, back in the book of Romans. I think tonight we start Romans 12.